0: Please join me tonight in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29. If you haven't figured it out yet, this is the month of stewardship, and so we're speaking a little bit about money, um, and not just money, because that is an elementary way to look at what stewardship is. Uh, stewardship is what God has given you, and it's making you a manager over whatever you have, whether we always talk about the three T's, you know, time, talent, treasure, But it's really much more than that. It's about you as an individual giving your life and doing as good a job managing you for God's glory as you possibly can. So in light of that, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, I would like to ask you to do me a favor tonight. I won't be long, I promise you. Um, We probably will be out of here in 25 minutes, maybe 30 at the most. I would like to encourage you, if you're not completely opposed to the idea, to please take notes. This message will not be very preachy. I'm just going to simply try and teach you something. Um, and so if you do have the ability, if you're not completely opposed and you don't get completely sidetracked by doing that, I want to leave you with just a few simple thoughts on how to give a good offering. Uh, First Chronicles chapter 29. We'll start reading verse one, and it is a rather lengthy portion of Scripture. We're going to read verses one through 20. And so we will be reading for a while. Please do your very, very best to focus in and don't lose your attention span as we get halfway through it, because if everything that I has to say, have to say tonight is falls far short of being effective uh, when it comes to the Word of God, because this is going to be the thing that is really going to make a difference in your life, not what I've composed, okay? So what's on this Bible is what's important, not what's on my iPad. You understand that? because there's angry birds and other good things like that. But 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 1, we'll start reading. The Bible says, Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things to be made of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, and wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set glittering stones and of diverse colors, and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God... I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Even three thousand talents of gold and of the gold of Ophir, and seven thousand talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses withal. The gold for things of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers, Uh, And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? Then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the rulers of the king's work, offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and uh, 10,000 drams and of silver 10,000 talents and of brass 18,000 talents and 100,000 talents of iron. And they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation... And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great And to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of Thee, and of Thine own have we given Thee. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee, and house for thine holy name, cometh of thine, thine hand, and is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart, and hast pleasure in uprightness, as for me... In the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen the with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people, and prepare their heart unto thee, and give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, And to do all these things and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. And David said to all the congregation, Now bless the Lord your God and all the congregation. Bless the Lord God of their fathers and bow down their heads and worship the Lord and the King. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for this passage of scripture and there is so much that I probably won't be able to touch on, and I probably won't be able to teach. But I do pray that in the few moments we have together, uh, that you would allow me to be uh, very clear and concise. And Lord, I pray that someone tonight would be moved and touched by the teachings of your word. I pray tonight that you would just do a great work in our presence, and it's your son's name I do ask and pray these things. Amen. Now, I have on occasion said things about my wife that... Uh, to y'all, as I've preached, that maybe we're not the smartest at the time. I admit occasionally I may stick my foot in my mouth um, just about every time I preach. Um, But I'm going to do my wife a favor tonight because she is in the nursery. And uh, she is uh, in there watching my kids and your kids. And I mean, mine's the devil, but yours are demons, okay? So uh, she's in there working hard doing that. And she said that I needed to keep it short on account of my throat, um, because she said she would cut it if I didn't. Um, but uh, I want to I just briefly talk to you tonight, and I probably, the cameraman, the cameraman tonight, I think is brother Castaneda, and he said, uh, I think he'd probably be thankful for me saying this, but I probably won't even move much from behind this pulpit. But I want to teach you something about what's going on. I want to talk to you tonight about five ingredients of a good offering. What's going on here in our passage is King David has had tremendous success as reign of king of Israel. He is no doubt the most successful and by far the most popular king of his day and even of the following days. I would say even eclipsing that of Solomon's reign. Everybody loved David, and sure, he had his down times, and he had some hardships, but David was the man after God's own heart, and that was clearly reflected in his reign as king. Now, we probably understand David is most famous for what? Going down to the valley and fighting that old Goliath, right? He got the sling, and he got the stones, and he did what nobody else in all the nation of Israel could do. He had the courage to stand up for God. And so he goes down there and he defeats Goliath. And that is what he's most famous for. But there's also another thing that David is quite famous for. While he's remembered very well for his one great victory, he's also known quite well for his tremendous defeat. And that was when he decided to look upon Bathsheba. And it wasn't the look, it was the pursuit. The look was okay as long as he looked away, but he didn't. And he decided to act upon his... ...instincts and his fleshly desires, and we all know the story. But really, David, in our minds, when I say King David's name, it is synonymous with either David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba. And I personally believe, as I study the Word of God, David is ending the nearing the end of his reign. He's right here at the very end, and I believe he's wanting to do something great, because in his mind... 1 Samuel chapter 17 is a long time ago. When he fought Goliath and everybody was singing his praises, that was when he was just a lad. But now he's a monarch, he's a king of many, many years, and the one thing he has to live with is Bathsheba. But I believe personally that as he nears the end of his reign, he has his eyes set on what he believes his legacy is going to be. Building the temple of God. He counts it the greatest privilege, the greatest honor that he could ever do is building God's temple. And so with all of his heart set upon this one goal and this one desire, what does he do? He sets out to do it. But like a wise king, he seeks God's wisdom on the matter. And God clearly tells David that he would not be the one to build the temple. Now, can you imagine how heartbroken David must have been? I mean, this is what he's wanted. This is... This is his legacy, but not his legacy for his own glory. This is his legacy for what he can do for the God that delivered Goliath into his hand. This is David's legacy for God's glory. But God tells him he would not be the one to build it. It would be his son Solomon. I'm sure there were mixed emotions, no doubt, but God does let David know that he can collect as much as he wants to collect, and he can raise as much as he wants, And he can supply all the supplies for the temple of God if he so desires. So David personally does a tremendous thing. He gets all of his gold and all of his silver and puts, personally invests just an enormous amount of his own money in this. But David was king, correct? Could he not have just taxed the people? Could he not have just said, All right, here's what I'm going to do. This is for my legacy, but it's not even my legacy now. It's my legacy and Solomon's legacy. I am going to tax every man, woman, and child, anybody who's able, anybody who has the money. I'm going to tax to raise the funds. But in our passage today, he doesn't tax them. He says, in fact, I don't even want you to offer it if you're not willing to offer it from your heart. And I believe as David spoke, he teaches the people his own heart. His own heart as to why he raised so much of his own money and why he sent so much of his own uh, uh, treasure. He was teaching them what his own heart was crying out, that he wanted to do something great for God. I want to talk to you about the ingredients of a good offering. You know, ingredients are quite important. One time, my family went out to the ranch and we were planning on eating steaks. I tell you what, I love a good steak, don't you? I don't think there's anything better other than a vegan burger. I tell you, steak's amazing, especially when it's done right. Salt grass cooks a great steak. And for some of you guys that, that your businesses buy your meal, I know Ruth's Chris makes a great steak. I just haven't eaten it, because Joshua Baptist Church doesn't buy many steaks like that. Uh... But I love steak. I love making them at my own home. When we decide to have steak, it's an endeavor. I, I make my own marinade. I marinate it for at least a day beforehand. I, I am the one that does the grill. Amy don't touch my grill. You know what I mean? That's, that is my ballpark. She can handle the microwave if she wants to, but the, ball, the, the grill is my territory. And so I invest a lot of time in steaks. I love steaks. I love steaks. I love potatoes with steaks. Any way you want to cook them, actually, it's great. You could make mashed potatoes, baked potatoes, fried potatoes. Not a fan of sweet potatoes, but it's better than some peas. Okay, so I love potatoes. It's hard to mess them up. I love steak and potatoes. I actually love grilled corn on the cob. Not the little short ones, the long ones, still in the ear, where you butter them up and you season them up and then you fold the ears on them and then you grill them. I love that. That's that is. I love steaks. Well. One time, my family and I went out to the ranch, and Mandy was going to cook our steaks. I knew there was a problem with this as soon as the decision was made, but, you know, Mandy is surprisingly good at things. I mean, sometimes she can just flat out, wow, Mandy, I didn't know you could do that. I thought you were way less talented than that. That was a joke. But so we decided to let Mandy cook the steaks. Um, And we were actually really excited. Anytime I hear we're having steaks, I get very excited. And so we're sitting around the TV, and we're getting ready, and Mandy puts this delicious-looking piece of meat out in front of me. I mean, it's got the steak. It's got the potatoes. It's cooked perfect. I like mine medium-rare. I think if you cook it more than that, you're just burning the flavor out of it. I think when you cut into it, it doesn't need to move, but it should still be breathing. Okay? Uh, That's what I think about a steak. And uh, I I love them like that. Mandy had cooked it just right for me and Dad. Man, I was looking forward to this. And so like a good Christian family does, we gathered around and we uh, don't hold hands, but we all bowed our heads and we began to thank the Lord for this amazing meal that we had the opportunity to uh, have a part in. And we dug in. Now what's the first thing you dig into? You go straight for the corn, you go for the potatoes? Not me. I take a swig of whatever I got to drink to wet my whistle to get me salivating, to prepare for the goodness I'm about to take in. Some of you are going to go to Outback after this church service and say, we got out early, might as well. Uh, But uh, I I took my drink, and I got my fork, and I got my knife, and I cut into that delicious looking steak, and I I put it in my mouth, and I looked at Dad, and we made eye contact with one another as we both ate the steak simultaneously, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we chewed and chewed and we were taking in all the flavors of the meat and you know, it was cooked just right. It, it, it was steak. But there was something very odd about this particular steak. It tasted like chicken. And you say, what a cliche. No, I legit- legitimately mean to tell you, It tasted just like chicken. I knew it was steak. It looked like steak, but I promise it tasted just like chicken. So me and Dad weren't going to, like, point this out to Mandy and make her embarrassed or anything, but, oh, Mandy, this is good. She took a bite of it herself and she said, this tastes like chicken. We said, Mandy, what did you do to produce that flavor to come out of beef? And she said, well, I used this seasoning, and on the, on the label it said, poultry seasoning. And Mandy had taken this poultry seasoning. I think she had mistaken it for garlic powder, or I don't know what she had mistaken it for, but it was the strangest day of my life when I bit into something mooing, and I, I started clucking. That was odd. Your seasonings are very important. Ingredients matter. You go to a nice restaurant, you know why you pay more for premium food? Because they use the right ingredients. I love a restaurant, I think it's called Lonesome Dove. Uh, It's about the best steak I've ever eaten. They literally don't freeze steaks. It goes in fresh every day. They deliver fresh steaks every day. They never freeze them. Premium ingredients equals premium taste. Great. I love it. Well, tonight I want to teach you about the ingredients of a good offering. I want to point out to you first of all what David says about the matter of preparation. In verse number 2, David's speaking and he says, Now, I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God. The gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood. And and he goes on to say all these things, but I have prepared with all of my might. Now, please don't be confused. Do we not have an offering coming up in just a couple weeks? I mean, it's literally around the corner. It's the very first Sunday in February. Whatever you want to call it, give it all offering, revive us again offering. Basically what we need is a big offering. So if you want to call it that, you're more than welcome to call it that. But we want to see God do something great in our church with you being a participant in that. Let me ask you a question. Are you preparing? We prepare for a lot of things financially. We prepare to pay our mortgage at the first or the end of the month. We prepare to pay our car payment. We prepare to pay gas and well, mixed emotions about the gas prices. I know it's really hurt some folks, so maybe it could go up a little bit so that members within our church would have jobs. But I do enjoy not having to pay sixty dollars to fill up my little bitty Hummer little bitty truck. You know, uh, that's very nice. But we we prepare for all sorts of things. We prepare for vacations. But do we prepare for the one real important thing of the year? Do we prepare for God's offering? David did. And as he was telling the people of his own preparation, I believe he was encouraging them, you prepare as well. Now, I've never been one to study beforehand and tests very well. Uh, sometimes Brother John will come back to the back before services, and he'll want to talk to a preacher, or he'll want to talk to me, and he'll see me in there, and I'm looking at my iPad, I'm looking at my Bible, I'm looking on my computer, and he always just comes in there, sticks his head in, and goes, cramming for the finals, huh? That's my best Brother John impression. (laughs) Cramming for the finals, (laughs) No, no, that was the Aggie impression, sorry. And I say, yes, sir, that's the only way I've ever done it. Even in high school and in college, I always, up until the very last moment, until the teacher said, all right, put your books up. What about this study sheet? Can I hide it in my sleeve? I, I mean, I always, always, always crammed for the finals. I think some of us need to cram for the next two weeks. We need to plan on what to give. And if we're not only preparing financially, are you preparing spiritually? Are you just guesstimating a number on what's comfortable? Are you just trying to figure out, oh, well, if I give X amount of dollars, well, we can still have an operating budget and we won't feel the strain of it too bad. Maybe God wants you to stretch your faith a little. Maybe God wants you to step out of your comfort zone so he can answer some of the needs you may have. Are you preparing financially and you're preparing spiritually? I believe David was trying to teach those around him, and I would like to teach you this tonight. Prepare for the upcoming offering. Secondly, he was teaching them it's a matter of priority. Verse number three. Now he explains why he's preparing. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God. I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. He says, I have set my affection on this thing. In other words, he was saying, I love God's house. And if you study this offering, and if you study this little sermonette of David, or this charge of David, every single time he refers to people giving, he says, unto God, and not unto the work of the building. He understood the one principle that when you give something to this work, you're giving it not to the work, you're giving it to God. Now, it may go to the work of the building of the temple, but David knew that when someone gave towards the temple, he was giving of his own to the Lord God of heaven. And he was trying to tell them, I have set my affection on this thing. We have a lot of things vying for our attention. All you need to do is watch about a four-minute commercial break, and you'll see seven different people asking for your money, or asking for your business, or asking for your attention. Today I was watching commercials as the football game was going on. That's why it's such a short sermon, because the game was good. Uh, but uh, today I was watching commercials, and I, I I saw probably three or four different commercial breaks that, uh, that all had car commercials of different car manufacturers. I said, man... How would I decide what car to buy? Because there's so many car dealerships wanting me to buy theirs. And they all promise luxury and safety and price and and, and resale value. And I'm like, man, it is just killer how much people are vying for my attention. Here's what I ask you to do. Set your affection on this offering. Know that whatever you give, whenever you give it, it's not to this church. It's to God. And know that it's going to someone who you should love more than any person in this world. The one who loved you enough to send his son. Is it our priority? Colossians chapter 3 instructs us to set our affections on things above, not on things of this earth. And that's difficult because the earth is bombarding us with advertisements. It's bombarding us with uh, answers to our problems. But God says... Don't look on earthly things. Set your affections on things above. Matthew chapter 6. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I read this today. Someone said, Desires dictate our priorities. Priorities shape our choices. And choices determine our actions. Let me read that to you again. Desires... ...dictate our priorities. Priorities shape our choices, and choices determine our actions. If you have the right desire in this upcoming offering, oh, your action is going to be plenty there. If you want to see nothing more than us to meet and even exceed our goal, and you say, God, I'll do whatever I can. If that's your heart, oh, we'll meet the goal. If that's your heart, oh, even if we don't meet the goal, you will have met yours is it your priority? Thirdly, David is trying to teach them this. It's a matter of perfection. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, and this is as a leader, I can only imagine David's excitement because he's trying to give them his burden. He's trying to give them his heart on the matter. And he says, guys, I want you to see that I've done everything I can do. I've My affection is on this. And then verse 9, the Bible says, Then the people rejoiced, for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. You know why? Because imperfect people did a perfect deed. I've always heard this said, and I remember when I was much younger, someone who I looked up to said this a lot, practice makes perfect. And then uh, someone who was a little smarter than him said, no, 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 practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Perfect practice makes perfect performance. I thought that was pretty good. Perfect practice makes perfect performance. Well, you know what I've learned as I coach a basketball team, I've coached golf, i I've been involved in a lot of sports, and I've, I've, I, I've been in a lot of different activities. You know what I've noticed? I've never seen anybody be perfect at anything. I've never seen a perfect preacher. We all have flaws. Some of us a lot, a lot, a lot more than others, but we all have flaws. I've never seen a perfect plan of salvation given. It's so funny if you lead somebody through the gospel how you walk away saying, I tell you, that was the worst, the worst job could have ever been given. I know the plan of salvation. I just decided to leave one of the points out. I've never seen anything perfect when imperfect people are involved. But right here, the Bible says that the heart of these people was perfect towards their God. And what was the key? The fact that they gave it willingly. I don't want to guilt you into doing something that is not God's will in this offering. I don't want to strain your family. I don't want to make you regret your decision weeks and months from now. That is not the goal. Man, If, if that is not at all my, my hope for you. My hope and desire is that you would willingly seek God's will on the matter and then willingly give because you know it's God's will. Well, I don't want you to, to hurt yourself financially. I want you to be so spiritually minded that you would be right enough with your God that you could bow your head and say, God, just give me a number and I'll do it. Lord, if that number takes me out of my comfort zone, so be it. If that number is much lower than I had in mind, so be it. But God, I pray that you would make me perfectly at peace with the number you give. And I hope that when you place that envelope in the offering, you know it's exactly what God wants you to do. And then as you place it, your heart can be right with Him, and you can be right and willingly give that. I don't want you to do anything out of guilt. I don't want you to do anything because I'm doing it. David's motivation for telling them that he was doing so much was not that somebody could match it. He was just saying, this is my heart. And my heart for you is not that you would find out what your neighbor's giving and see so you can match them. Oh, no. My heart is that you would just willingly give whatever you can. And then I believe God's will will be done. Whether it's $139,000, whether it's $178,000, whether we bust $200,000, if you willingly give, the Bible calls what you've done with a perfect heart. And I think that's awesome that imperfect people could ever be called something perfect. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. At the end of the day, God doesn't want you to give, if you can't do it willingly and cheerfully. David was teaching it was a matter of perfection. Fourthly, it's a matter of purpose. Let me ask you, why are you going to give in this offering? Is it because the offering is on the schedule? Is it because this is what we do annually? I hope that's not the reason. Verse number 10, I want to show you why the people gave here in this passage. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, For ever and ever, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and all that is in the earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of Thee, and Thou reignest over all, and in Thine hand is power and might. And in Thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Verse 13, Now therefore... Our God, we thank Thee and praise Thy glorious name. You know why they gave? To praise God. They didn't give because David was giving. They didn't give because their neighbor was giving. They didn't give because David just waxed eloquent with a sermon he preached. No, 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 no. They gave because they wanted God to be blessed with the offering. They gave because it was God's will and it was God. It was going to glorify God. And so they said, God, you are so good, you are so high, you are so majestic, you are so holy, you are so perfect, you are so gracious, you are so kind, you are so loving, you are so compassionate, you are so generous. God, because of all those things, I'll give you what you want. And that's the only reason we ought to ever give. God loves a cheerful giver, and we ought to cheerfully give because God so willingly gave us His Son. Oh, it's a reasonable service to give money. God has been so kind and so gracious to us. How could we withhold something so silly as a Benjamin Franklin? Money that can be burned up. Why would we withhold that from the God who didn't withhold His very, very best from us? Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance. For when you do, it honors Him. For the Bible says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. And that's what this offering is all about. Honoring a God who deserves our honor. Glorifying a God who is worthy of the glory. And just worshiping the one who is to receive our worship. That's what it's all about. It's not about meeting the budget. Oh, no. It's not about paying off bills. Oh, no. It's about you having an opportunity to lift something up to God and saying, God, I give you this because you are my God. That's all it is. He says, it's a matter of your purpose. What's your heart in the matter? And fifthly, we're almost done. It's a matter of privilege. Look at verse 14. And this is very important. And then we'll be, we'll be going home. David continues to say this. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we, give, uh, have we uh, given thee. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. You know what David was so in awe of? Not the fact of what he was giving. He wasn't looking at himself and saying, man, I've done a pretty good thing here. You know what he was most amazed about? That he had the opportunity to give. Essentially, he was saying, I broke the rule, I moved, I'm sorry. Essentially, what David was saying was, God, you don't need my money. God, you don't need my money. You have coffers at your beck and call. God, you have mountains, you have cattle. God, you have it all. You don't need me. But God, you've chosen to use me. And it is just a blessing that I am able to give you anything, for you've given me everything. Our focus has gotten a little off. Our focus is, well, this is what I'm going to give, and uh, it's because, you know, the offering's coming around, and I feel like it would help meet the goal, and it would, it's a priority that I teach my children. No, no, no. We're viewing it all wrong. You know why you ought to give? Because God is letting us. Because we as a, a people who have partaken in such the greatness of our God, we've partaken in his salvation, we've taken his daily graces, we've taken his love. And all he's saying is, I'll let you do something for me. He doesn't need your money. You ought to give it and, like David, stand in all that you are able to give it. It's not our obligation to give in this offering. I say to you, it is our privilege. I just hope that we have the right mindset. I coach a basketball team for JCA. Many of you know that. Many of you come down there and watch me lose my testimony on a regular basis, yelling at the teenagers and uh, yelling at the referees and, Yelling at the parents afterward for yelling at the referees, but uh, I coach a basketball team and and I've done it now. I've helped. I used to help brother Jim coach. Uh, I think I helped him one year, and I played on the team for several years. And now I've been head coach three years, and we still not have not accomplished anything. So I think I'm limiting JCA. I just probably need to withdraw from the whole thing, and they might have success. But um, every year it never fails. And you may think this is silly. I have somebody that promises me they're going to dunk. When I was in high school, it was me. Oh, yeah. I, I can dunk. I'm gonna gra- I can grab the rim, so I'm going to dunk. And as far as I know, we have never, ever, ever had one player at Joshua Christian Academy. Unless it was before my time, we've never had somebody who could, could dunk on a consistent basis. Now, we've been dunked on a lot but I know I couldn't dunk the guys who I played with who were a little older than me were really athletic and really good basketball players but they couldn't dunk since I've been coach I've had the opportunity to coach some really good guys and some really good basketball players and uh, they couldn't dunk and the team that I'm working with this year they can't dunk I will say however Matt you're getting close so if you get to work, you might be able to do it. But every time one of them comes up to me and says, you know what, I'm going to dunk this year. I, I can dunk. I, I'm going to do it. You know what I always say? Show me. Prove it. No, don't talk about it. Talking about it is nothing but paint pictures in people's minds. And I picture people... Falling on their face and breaking their back after they throw it off the back of the rim. That's If you can't show me, I'm not going to believe you. Take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Chapter number 8 and we're done. Prove it. Prove it. I, I don't want to guilt you tonight. I don't want to make you feel bad, but... I believe every one of us in here would say that we love God. I don't see how we couldn't. We come to church on a regular basis. We've, we know about the gospel. We know Christ is our Savior. We love God. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says. Verse number 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The key phrase is there, prove the sincerity of your love. We say we love God. We say we do. And I believe you. Just prove it. He proved how much he loved us a long time ago. Gave us the very best heaven had to offer. In fact, he tore off a piece of himself and sent it to us. Gave us the very, very best. You want to know what the best ingredient of an offering is, a good offering? Love. If you love the one you're giving to, you'll have no problem doing it willingly. If, you're, if you love the one you're giving to, you'll have no problem giving enough, giving more than enough, because you love them. So my challenge to you is, prove it.